0: Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a hundred mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? coming, rain isn't coming, can't give a thing, don't ask me why you do but I am legit.
1: Welcome to another episode of MR Running Pains podcast. Um, today, I have with me Anne Riddle. Anne is... Simply, uh, just an amazing woman um, who has done just mind-blowing things um, in running. Um, she uh, she probably is lesser known to those that haven't been into the sport um, for long, uh, just because she did most of her um, big adventures um, in the early two uh, thousands, late nineties. Um, so. Um, but she did some amazing things and obviously we can, we can learn, uh, so much from, from people like Anne. So I'm excited to, uh, to present to you our conversation and, uh, hope you enjoy and I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the episode. All right. As I said in the introduction, I'm welcoming to the show, um, uh, one of uh one of my favorite people and and runners uh, who i I've you know definitely looked up to in my career um and riddle and how are you today?
2: I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me here
1: Awesome. Uh, yeah no, i was I was very excited to have this conversation um just so we're uh in a, a timeline and and I are recording on December eleventh in case we say anything that uh <laughs> that it changes by the time this podcast launches just so everybody has the time frame. Um, but, um, and, um, I, I left the, uh, the, the big introduction up to you. So, um, tell us, you know, about yourself, uh, where you're at and what you're, what you're doing, that kind of stuff. And, and then we'll get into all the other fun stuff in a bit.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, um, goodness, I've been a runner since I was 14 years old and, um, we'll get into, I guess, the ups and downs of my career right now in my running, I am um, kind of coming back from injury. I've, the last few years have been really up and down with back injuries. So right now I'm just in this phase of running for stress relief and running as a chance to get out of the house with COVID because there's not much else to do. And um, just trying to trying to get fit again and see whether there are any or what kind of adventures are in my future um, running-wise. Working remotely, as a lot of us are, um, and that's that's about it for me from here. Right yeah. Uh,
1: so starting at fourteen, um, so high school age, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Started in high school. All right. Um, what did high school running look like for you?
2: Well, so I started in earlier days. I was a soccer player, so going into high school, I just kind of assumed I would be on the, on the soccer team. And my parents sat me down like the summer before ninth grade and said, here's the thing, like you're not really very good at soccer (laughs) and you probably won't make the team, but you're one of the fastest people in the field and it seems like you can just go and go. Why don't you try out for the cross country team? and i said well what's cross country and they told me you know running across fields and up and down hills and um through the grass and the best thing was there were no cuts so anybody who went out for the team made the team so that was my intro and i knew that i knew the races were 3 miles long and at the time our driveway was a mile long. We lived on a dirt road. And so that summer I practiced every day until I could run to the end of the driveway and back without stopping. So I figured that prepared me for high school cross-country. Um, and I think I had, you know, what a lot of a lot of people would consider a pretty typical high school cross-country and track career. Um, I was, I was kind of a big fish in a little pond in my area. We were in a small school in a small district. So Where I went that? to districts and regionals and states every year and um, that kind of thing. Ran cross and the um, 1600 and 3200 on, on the track. And then went to college. I um, was a walk-on at William & Mary and um, ran there for three years. Didn't run my final year. Um so was I'd say happened? I experienced moderate success um, as a runner early on, and I, I knew that I loved it, and I knew that I kind of had a um, had some kind of gift. I mean, not I never had any harbored any illusions of being a professional runner or going to the Olympics or anything like that. But I knew that I was better than average.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Northern Virginia, in you know, an area that was very rural at the time, um, Loudoun County, um, lots of dirt roads to run on, back roads. Um, it's become more of a suburb of D.C. now.
1: Yeah. Was it like a very positive experience, you know, running in high school? Did you, you know, have? It, it was great,
2: yeah. I mean, it was, we moved to a new school when I was in ninth grade, and I think I was at that place in life where you're, kind of, you could, you could kind of, you're kind of at a crossroads and I could have gone in a couple different directions. And I think that finding cross country and finding the camaraderie of the team there, we didn't have much of a, of a women's team when I was there. And, and it really built during my time. Um, and those, th- th- both the men and the women just became some of my best friends in high school. That was my cohort. And so it really, um, it was just a place to belong and, and a place to kind of put my di- in my, uh, adolescent energy. Um, <laughs> if left unchanneled, can go in a lot of different directions.
1: Oh, nice. So, yeah. Um, uh, you've always come across as, as well-spoken, um, and, uh, you know, uh, very, very kind to, to everyone. Um, did you, do you think you developed some identity, uh, in high school? Um, you know through you know the socialization that you found in running or um, how do you think that kind of helped shape you or or not shape you <laughs>
2: um yeah i think gosh that's interesting you know i think as a i was um i was one of the top runners on the team from like mid freshman year on so i think that did lead me to take kind of a well a leadership and sort of a mentorship role Um, by my senior year in high school we had we were we were really a a pretty good team and we're going to states and all that and so we attracted a lot of non-runners and non-athletes to the team it was kind of we were kind of this motley crew of kids that maybe never saw themselves as athletic and so it was really fun to to bring them on and, and help them realize that they could be athletes. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess I did looking back, I I hadn't really thought of it this way, but I think I did develop a lot of compassion and support and just knowing how to kind of cheer people on and, and bring out their best selves.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm always interested in, um, you know, collegiate athletics. Um, You said that you decided not to run your final year. You know, if you don't mind, what was involved in that decision?
2: I think, um, well, I will say in some ways it's a decision I regret, but in other ways I think it was necessary. I think I was real burnt out by that point. I think um, as much as I loved running for a lot of my high school and my college years, it really felt like I was running for other people maybe more than myself and um, just started experiencing a lot of anxiety um, before meets. Um, I mean terrible crippling anxiety where I didn't just not want to race but I didn't even want to get out of bed I wasn't even sure I wanted to live the morning of, of races I was that bad and I've just started thinking this is not this isn't fun I'm not enjoying it Um I started getting interested in other things, um, meeting people who weren't on the team and just felt like I needed to go in a different direction. And um, it was interesting. interesting, you know, after my junior year, I figured I would never race again. You know, I mean, I, I knew I would always run. And even when I stopped running on the team, I still ran, you know, a little like, you know, my five miles a day or whatever. Um, but it was several years, probably... That was probably 1987, and I don't think I ran another race till maybe 93. So there are a lot of years where I just didn't want anything to do with the whole competitive piece. Um, I think I needed to just detox from all of that and figure out what running meant to me personally, um, away from the coach and the dad and all of that other stuff.
1: So do you feel like there was um, external pressure or uh, a mixture of external and internal pressure that, you know, you kind of placed on yourself uh, that caused that anxiety?
2: I think it was a, I think it was a combination. Um, But I will say, and I think this might be true for other, other, other people at that age. um, I, I felt like my relationship with my dad revolved a lot on my success or failure as a runner. And so, um, you know, really uh, the races went from feeling proud about how I had done to wondering how he would respond to my result. Um, and so that, I think that was where a lot of the pressure came, but I think also I'm just a very, I'm a type one person. I'm very competitive with myself. I'm hard on myself. i I always want to do the best I can. Um, I, I do what we shouldn't do, but what so many of us do do, which is compare ourselves to others. So I think there was just a mixture of all of that, putting a lot of pressure on every single race.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you don't mind, as a as a mom yourself, um, you know, when, when Emma was growing up, did you try to not do the, the same and, and be as, you know, as, as, uh, uh, involved in that regard to her athletics?
2: Well, there weren't really that many athletics to speak of. Um, <laughs> she, you know, I, I was very conscious of not forcing her to do anything she didn't want to do. However, I was the girls on the run coach for her elementary school. So <laughs> she, since that's what I was doing after school, two days a week, she pretty much had to do it with me. So She did girls on the run for, four years I guess um and then ran track maybe one year in in middle school and ran maybe one week of cross country at Asheville High and it was just clear she it was not for her um as excited as I was when she you know we did run the girls on the run 5ks together and I saw this huge potential I had just always been really cognizant of um just wanting her to have a passion and I didn't care whether it was running another sport, music, art, writing, theater, you know, whatever her passion was going to be. I wanted to support that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I'm the same, you know, uh, when I see Keegan, um, you know, it's like, obviously he has potential, but I never want to press it on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always let him know, you know, it's okay if, if like you decide you don't want to like, you know, cause he gets really anxious too, before, especially before track meets, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's more, you know, because he's out in front of a whole crowd, um, you know, dad's his coach. Um, so like, you know, I, I don't want him to feel that, that pressure as well, mm-hmm. but he loves cross country, you know, and he loves trail running. So, um, uh, you know, I, it's, I, I don't want to, like you said, I don't. I want him to pursue his passion, which he loves basketball. So, you know, yeah. I want him to be able to try out for basketball and enjoy that. So, I agree with you. It's you know, letting them find their own path, and it's it's hard when your parents are like us, you know, like <laughs> that. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. What, You know what we did. So, um, I, you know, I, I but it, I just don't want him to have that external pressure as well. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. And
2: I think you know that that's sort of what happened when Emma went out for cross country at Ashville High the very first day. The you know, the coach, who is someone I know. Who texted me and was so psyched that, that Ann Riddle's daughter was coming to be on the team. And, and you know, and I think in some ways I think Emma wouldn't say it, but I think, you know, she gets, she's kind of proud of that, but in the other, um, you know, she's, she's not me. She doesn't have the, the interest or the, the drive that I have in that area. Yeah. So I think it was, it maybe did feel like a lot of pressure for her.
1: Yeah. Um, when you were in, uh, let's say high school, um, were you motivated enough that if you guys didn't have practice, you would just go out for a run anyway?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I would even, uh, yeah, I remember actually one specific day in high school, um, the, it was my senior year and this, this girl was my big rival, um, for like, um, in the mile or two mile or something. And there, there was an awful weather day, thunderstorms hail and our practice was canceled. And I remember going home and going for a run and thinking, I bet Kim Sullivan's out there training right now. I'm going to go out there and train right now. And then we had the meet that weekend and it turned out she had been sick all week and hadn't run at all. But You know, I used that as motivation. So yeah, Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah, I was out there and, you know, and, In not a very, not always a very directed way. Like I remember a couple of times having a a disappointing uh, race on a Saturday and going out to the track and my dad timing me for on intervals on Sunday, um, which was just like, didn't make any sense. Training wise was not what I needed, but just this, okay, we got a no taking the day off, no resting, no recovery day. Let's go back
1: out at it so. uh, and i'm sorry if i missed this uh were your parents runners
2: they weren't um they became runners when i was in high school um but they weren't beforehand okay yeah.
1: gotcha yeah. right on very good um so fast forward a little bit you've um you know you've, you're uh, you've taken a little hiatus from racing you said mm-hmm. uh and then you got back into it what what regained that interest in uh in racing
2: Uh, I decided to run a marathon and I'm not really sure why, but it just, I guess, maybe I can only speak for myself, but I think as a runner, maybe the ultimate goal is to eventually run a marathon. Although nowadays, probably the ultimate goal is to run like a 50 miler or a hundred miler. But back then it was like, if you ran a marathon, you are a real runner. So um, I just decided to run a marathon. And back then, you know, there was no internet, there were no training guides, um, so I went to the library and checked out a book on how to run a marathon and had a little 10 or 12 week plan and I followed it to the T and did my marathon. And I think that sort of reignited things for me. Nice. Um,
1: which, which marathon was that?
2: It was, I don't even know if they have it anymore. It was the Piedmont triad marathon in okay. Greensboro.
1: Okay. Right on. Um, and so how'd that go? Did, did you?
2: It was great. I think I ran like, um, 304 or something, which was, you know, pretty, pretty good. So I was pretty, pretty psyched about that. And, uh, you know, of course, the next day, more sore than I'd ever been in my entire life, couldn't walk downstairs or anything like that. But it was, it, it kind of reminded me like, gosh, you know, if I really work at this, maybe I could achieve some things.
1: And so like, you know, that spark is now lit. So uh, like you said, you've, you've kind of got this idea in your head now, like uh, maybe I can do something else. So where did that take you from there?
2: I started working with um, the coach, the track coach at the time at UNCA, um, Stan Rosenthal. And we threw some women in the Ashville Track Club. We started a little women's um, track workout group. And so we met, um, once a week and did track workouts and so started doing, that was the first time in, you know, eight years I'd done any speed work So started doing that, just started entering some local 5Ks, 10Ks, um, winning here and there, winning a little bit of money here and there. And, um, and so Stan thought I had potential in the marathon. So for a while, um. The um Olympic trials was my goal. I didn't quite get there. Um and sort of in between um training hard for marathons, I, I ran a couple good ones and then um got injured and then somehow decided to do an ultra and um and then, and that was like just as trail running. Trail running was really kind of picking up steam too. I mean, there were only a couple trail races in all of North Carolina at that time. Um, so, it sort of, I, I did this trail ultra, got that bug, started running more trails, and then that it sort of took off from there.
1: All right. So, where did uh? Where did the marathon end up? Uh, Like, where did you end up having, uh, or what was your PR? Um, 254.
2: 254.
1: Beautiful. Awesome.
2: And so at the time, the women's trials um, were, uh, the qualifier was 250. And so, and 250, I mean, I only ran four marathons, I think, um, during that time. And I was taken off, you know, pretty substantial time. So I think probably... I mean, who knows where we all can do the coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I think had I not changed my focus to trails and ultras, and if I had stuck with the marathon for a couple more years, I think I probably could have gotten that PR down.
1: So we're talking, uh, are we talking late like nineties now where, where you got into the trail running?
2: Yeah, that would have been, well, my first, actually, I can remember it from, um, by thinking about Emma, because my first trail ultra was when I was actually, I didn't realize it, but I was pregnant with her, which was 99. Okay. Um, and, and I think one? I had done a couple. I, so the races I did were the Ure trail races. And back then there was an 8-mile, a 20-mile, and a 40-mile. Yeah. So probably in 97, I ran the 8-mile. 98, went back and ran the 20-mile. And by 99, I was ready for the 40-mile.
1: nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You are still around and still selling out in three seconds. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's, that's great. It was
2: a different scene back then for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, um, that's, you know, around the time I started looking at trail racing, not necessarily ultras myself, but, um, you know, what did, if you would, what did the ultra scene look like back then? Um, obviously we're still not having a lot of internet access uh you know that, like how did you go about uh finding races what was around you know did you have to travel a lot what did it look like
2: well back then the best source for finding out about races was running journal which i don't even know if that publication is around they stopped, anymore yeah, they stopped but you know that. i would uh, you know you would get that every month and look at all the races, the 5ks all the way up to ultras and i think the way it had they had it broken down was like they had all the regular races by state and then at the very back they had like
1: the a little
2: teeny column about like trail and ultras yes and so <laughs> I just look on there and find out what was what was there um you know there were I'm thinking about and of course I was only really concentrating on the southeast so there is probably I'm sure there's more going on out west I mean of course there were things like there's Western and Leadville and, you know, those kinds of things had been going on for quite some time. Um, but here there was really, um, there was Uari and then there were, um, there was Umstead, there were David Horton's races up in Virginia, um, JFK obviously. So I did a lot of just, you know, here in the Southeast, um, kinds of things.
1: Right on, right on. So, um, what what would you say was probably uh, your your favorite out of the, the trail races? What, would, what was your uh, go-to?
2: Well, I mean, I think my favorite, favorite is, is Shut In um, right here in Asheville. Um, it's just, it's such a classic. And I guess that was probably one of my first trail races too, actually. You know, I probably did that for the first time maybe in 96, 97, somewhere in there. Um, and I've gone on to, I did, I've done it seven times total. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just a classic because when you live here in in Western North Carolina, everybody does it. And it's just like a big, big family reunion every year. Um, (laughs) and of course that's changed too. I mean, back in the day, there weren't lotteries and you didn't have to like sign up for a race six months in advance and, you know, all of that. It was kind of like, weekend before or a couple weeks before <laughs> or find out about something and send your little check and your self-addressed stamped envelope right. and yep. register
1: for it uh, they were at a jillion dollars and yes yeah.
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: so, what um speaking of shut in what did um it, it, how different was it like when you did it your first time to like what we're seeing i mean obviously not this year but in a normal year like You know, what were the aid stations like or were there aid stations like, you know, what what did that all look like?
2: I think I mean, that's one thing I don't think has changed a whole lot. And I will say I haven't run shut in 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 a few years, maybe, you know, could be six or seven years by now. So I don't know what it's like currently, but I think it's always been just just like kind of a roaming sort of party atmosphere with the aid station. You know, you'd have your crew driving from rest stop to rest stop and, and seeing you. And, um, you know, certainly back then when I first started, you didn't have all your gels and your fancy drinks and all that. I remember, you know, my husband handing me a banana and me getting kind of frustrated that it wasn't peeled. And, um, (laughs) um, You know, you didn't care. I didn't even have and I don't even know if i would carry water if I did shut in now. But like you didn't even have like ultimate directions, handhelds and things like that back then, at least that I maybe I was just behind the times. But, you know, that was also when I owned just running and we didn't sell a lot of that stuff. People didn't wear hydration systems or camelbacks. Those were for mountain bikers, not for runners. So. All of that has changed a whole lot.
1: Right. So like it, you did, you 40. So what did that look like so far as like, you know, it, you're, you know, you don't have the handhelds, you don't have, you know, so what did you guys do instead? Just depend on the aid stations? Pretty yeah.
2: much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Uh, and you said you like, there wasn't like the gels and stuff. So it was more like, you know, like you said, bananas and a
2: uh, handful of M&Ms and boiled yeah. potatoes and that sort <laughs> kind of thing
1: the, the, uh, the, all the things that right now we're, we're wondering, how do we, how do we get those out on the aid stations without having, you know, people handle. <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. so, um, you, you've got the, uh, as you said, you got into the trail and ultra running. Um, let's talk about some of the things that you, uh, you did in trail and ultra running. So, um, what was, uh, what's the, the furthest that you did for an ultra?
2: Um, the furthest I did was, it was actually not on trails on roads. I, my, towards the very end of my ultra career, I did, um, 24 hour races. And I think this is where it gets foggy. I think my PR was somewhere around like 138, 140 miles, something Amazing. like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. Did they have the, um, U S and world teams, uh, when you were doing the 24 hour,
2: yeah, yeah. I was so I only did I was on the uh, the US team one year for the 20 for the 24 hour. I believe that was 2013. No, no, no. Yeah, somewhere in there. And what happened, I would have continued with that um but that was when my back I had I'd had a couple, that was right before my second back surgery and I just decided I needed to kind of chill out a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I did go to the worlds in the 24 hours and that was, a that was great. It was a lot of fun. It was in Poland and
1: super cool. Did you do any of the other, um, trail teams? Did you, any of the other race distances like hundred K or anything?
2: They didn't really have, so they had, um, I did, I mean, I did a lot of, I was on the hundred K road team, um, six times, um, they didn't have the trail ones at that point. They were just starting it. They had a um they had a like a trial fifty mile world trail championships at Sunmart in Texas one year. And I did that, but um they didn't really I think they were just starting to form. I mean they had the uh the short, the um the the trail teams that did the you know the uphill race one year and the downhill the next. Right. But they didn't have ultra length um, national teams at that point.
1: Yep. Gotcha. Right on. Um, the, uh, did you ever get to do, uh, just an outright hundred miler?
2: I did two. I did, um, Vermont and I did Western States. And, um, I'd say, you know, when I think back over my running career, if there are two pieces of unfinished business, one would be, I I wish I could go back and, and get that marathon time a little lower, but obviously that, that, that ship has sailed. Um, But I don't feel like I ever really dialed in the hundred mile race. And I would love to be able to go do another one of those. I don't know if that's in my future or not. Um, But um, when I did both Western and Vermont, I was still, doing a lot of road ultras and I was doing a lot of 50 K and 50 mile trail r- trail ultras, but I just wasn't, I didn't have the training dialed in for a hundred mile trail race. And I think I would do it a lot differently now.
1: And, and what do you think you would do differently? Um, so far as, you know, training anything like, what? what do you think? think
2: so when I did, when I was doing, um, Training for a lot of 50 miles and hundred ks I did I pretty much did um marathon training with just a little more volume. Um, you know, I was doing track workouts once a week, tempo runs once a week, long run once a week. And the only difference was that my long runs were longer and I was doing more two a days. Um and so and that worked really well for hundred Ks. Um But when it came to the 100 mile, you know, I think for racing up to maybe eight hours, that worked really well. But when it came to racing for 16, 18, 20 hours, I think I would have, if I were going to do it now, I would put a lot more time on my feet, incorporate a lot more hiking in my running. um, And that would probably be the main thing, you know, going out instead of, I think I was doing maybe... 30, 35 mile trail runs on the weekends, you know, being out there for maybe a maximum of five hours or something. I think I would go out and, you know, do some eight, nine mile or hour training runs if I was going
1: to do another hundred. Sure. How did Western go for you?
2: Not great. I mean, I, I I was, I was in the top 10, so I know that's, um, that's something to be, to be proud of and, (laughs) Not a lot of people um, can do that. Um, But uh, I ran, I think my time was like 21 something. I think probably Nikki Kimball won it that year, maybe in 19 something, maybe 18. I mean, she was way, way, she was gone home and showered and slept for a couple hours by the time I was running around that track for the final, final stretch. Um, And and so, like, looking back, I can think, gosh, you know, top 10 at Western is, like, a pretty big accomplishment. But at the time, that was when um, there were, you know, they were starting to do a lot of, a lot more blogs and, like – you know, uh, some of the, some of the websites were doing predictions and giving people odds. And, you know, I was in the mixed and, you know, they were, I don't remember what the odds were, but, you know, there was some talk that maybe I had the potential to win or at least to podium. And so I think going into it with that mindset and then coming in ninth was really disappointing. Um, but, you know, going in with a different mindset, coming in ninth was, pretty, you know, pretty good accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Um, if we could talk about Western for a state, uh, second, because, you know, I, I would say that it's on everybody's bucket list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you're, you know, if you do hundred milers, typically Western States is on your bucket list. Um, if you could just give some, some advice uh, about, you know, Uh, training for western states uh what are some things that you might say are you know some some key components to training and being prepared for for western states
2: well the downhill is huge Um, one of the things that really killed me there was that my quads were just shot by the second half um you just don't realize how much descending you're going to be doing going into the canyons and then coming back out so that's a big one um managing the heat and, and hydration. And I don't even think it was a particularly hot year that I did it. I mean, it was definitely hot. It definitely got into, you know, maybe a hundred degrees in the Canyon. So that's pretty darn warm, but it wasn't like one of the record hot years that you hear about. So just really being able to manage um, fluids and figuring out dialing in your eating, because that's always been a big challenge for me in almost any distance over about, 50k i just get to a point where i don't want anything but unsweet tea and water i just don't want any i don't take in any calories and you know obviously that's not that's not good energy management. so really dialing in you know what can you stomach in those final hours and especially the heat you know practicing that and getting that figured out
1: absolutely
2: um, i think it i remember coming at to um Devil's Thumb, which was a really, really hot area and hot time of day. And they had these popsicles that just looked so appealing. I think I like sucked down two real fast and then descending from there got the worst side stitch and cramps. And it's like, you know, why would I suck down a couple of popsicles and then like scream down a hill? It just, you know, too much sugar, too much stuff sloshing around. So those kind of like kind of rookie mistakes, really, when you think about it. <laughs>
1: I gotcha. Uh were there any uh races that you were like, man, I wish I had been able to do that one.
2: Um you know, I think I don't know that any particular ones come to mind. I mean, there's a ton I would love to do. You know, a lot of the ones out west they're just so beautiful and scenic. Um, you know, hard rock, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if I was even cut out for that, even in my prime, but something like that would have been really, yeah. really fun to do. Um, you know, in terms of like a sub ultra, I, I never did Boston, even though I qualified for it plenty of times. And I did after I had my back had sort of curtailed my ultra running. I did do another couple marathons after that. And had decided I was going to do Boston just because everybody says you got to do Boston. You got to do Boston for so many years. I thought, ah, what's Boston? You know, I've gone to worlds. I've done Western who needs Boston, but (laughs) I decided to do it and got injured just a few weeks out and didn't get to race it, but went ahead up there just because I already had all my accommodations and it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was magical, just the, the energy there, um, how the whole city turns out. So I I wish I had done that or maybe will again at some point, that's probably, you know, one that they always say should be on every runner's bucket list. And I kind of blew that off and I, I regret it a little bit now.
1: Uh, Yeah, I got you. Absolutely. And Um, I guess,
2: you know, the other thing, and now that I think about like bucket list ones, I still would kind of like to do Hellgate up in Virginia on um, David Horton's race, which I think is this tonight. weekend, maybe starting yeah. tonight, actually. It's tonight. So, yep. Yeah. So that's yeah. another one that I think would be really special.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, it's a little sound like the, the usuals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as I, I've said, uh, I, am, I think I'm number 17 on the wait list for Hard Rock right now. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, So it's, it's I'm getting up there. I haven't looked to see if I've, I've moved at all. I doubt it, but, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, and, yeah. you know, God knows I'm, I think I'm on year six for the Western States with lottery. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe at some point, yeah. um, but, um, you also, um, you did some really fun projects and, uh, mm-hmm. and, FDs. um, let's, let's get into that topic. Yeah. Um, Let's let's talk about let's start with your what's your favorite? What was your favorite FKT or project that you did?
2: Well, it's interesting because when you think about FKTs, when you're in the middle of them, they may be your least favorite thing in the world, but then after you've done them, they they're really fun in hindsight. Yeah. Um the Tour to Virginia, which was um a run on the AT across the state of Virginia, I think it was well, let's see, I wrote down it was um how many miles was it quite a bit 500 and 510 miles i think and we did it in 14 days 13 days something like that and um 169 hours it looks like and that was really fun it was fun because we i had i did it with five of us started and three of us finished and um it was it was a team effort but I mean, the two guys were so far ahead of me by the end. I didn't really see them except at the campsite each night. But we had a crew that drove uh, drove our gear from site to site. And we ran maybe anywhere between like 30 and 45 miles a day on the AT. And it was just, there's just something. Sp- I've never done a through hike, but it kind of gave me a glimpse of what that would be like, where yep. you're just in this kind of extended period where you don't have to think of anything except getting from point A to point B and, you know, managing your energy, managing your blisters, managing your, your food and fluid intake. And um, there's just something really special about being able to just take a step away from your life and do that. So that was a really special one. Plus having grown up in Virginia, it was cool. and, And finishing up in Harper's Ferry where I had spent a lot of time as a kid.
1: Cool. Absolutely. Uh, Would that be the one you're also most proud of? Or would you say there's another?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as I know, nobody else has done that. Um, So I don't really have times to compare it to. I mean, I have a I have a hunch that another woman could run it way faster than I did. Um, But I'm proud that I persevered because I had some really significant i i fell so many times in that run and, and my knees were so banged up and swollen i could barely bend them by the end and um thought a couple times about dropping so i was really proud that i persevered through that um i think the SB 6 k was also awesome. i'm pretty proud of that one um about that? well that was covering all the all the um peaks above 6,000 feet here in North Carolina. There were 40 of them and we did it in, um, let's see, we did it in six days, six and a half days covered 261 miles. Um, And it was, I did it with two other women and we did do it as a team effort. We stayed together the entire time, um, which had its merits and its, disadvantages um it's good when you're struggling and you've got two people there with you who are having better days who can kind of pull you along but it's it's hard when you're having a good day and your teammates aren't having as much of a good day and um you can't really just take off and do what you feel like doing but uh it it was fun because I got to do a lot of recon and spend a lot of time out in the mountains in areas that I haven't really spent a lot of time in, So, um, especially out in the Smokies. And, um, and part of the challenge with the SB6K was it was not pure running. It was a lot of uh, orienteering and um, bushwhacking and trying to find summits. And so that was a, a different kind of skill set.
1: Yeah, and just so everybody knows, what does SB6K stand for?
2: South beyond six thousand.
1: Six thousand, and that included peaks um, in North Carolina and Tennessee, right?
2: Well, the only the only one in Tennessee, I think, was Klingman's, um, which I think right. might be kind of on the border, maybe.
1: Right, it, it's in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so what, yeah, it started.
2: In, we started at Klingman's did all the Peaks and the Smokies, and then went out to the Plot Balsams, then the um, Great Balsams, where Black Balsam and Shining Rock and all that are, and then um, across the mountains to see over to um, Mount Mitchell and all the ones over in that area, and then, and then over to the Roans.
1: And so you ran in between
2: yeah um,
1: wow, we, all these areas that's
2: well I, you would running loosely defined i'd say there's <laughs> sure. there a fair amount of stuff and hiking. but yeah <laughs> we, we went we we went from um peak to peak on foot
1: what was the total distance
2: it ended up being let's see about 260 miles
1: that's incredible that's awesome
2: yeah
1: that's really yeah. cool um yeah. i think it's just really cool that you guys were doing these projects and you know um just coming up with some different things to do. And it was before all of this, you know, uh, hubbub about FKTs. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think stirred that interest just to, you know, do something different or, you know?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I guess for me, and I would suspect I'm not the only one, I think maybe it's not coincidental that the interest in FKTs has grown as, the ultra world has changed and I think what's happened and I think in some ways it's really good. You know, there's so many more people out there running ultras now and we always want to see more people enjoying the woods and getting fit and pushing themselves. But at the same time, it became more and more difficult to get into races. Um, Races became more of a for-profit venture. Entry fees went up. And um, it just started feeling like, you know, why should I pay $300 to do this race with all these other people and have to sign up for it six months in advance and do a lottery? And then if I get injured, I don't get my money back and yada, yada. (laughs) When we have all these amazing trails and adventures to be had right here in our backyard. So, um, you know, I think I'm probably not the only one with that line of thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, I I just had a podcast with um, Tori Greaves who just set the uh, the new FKT on on pitchel, uh, mm-hmm. and that's one that uh, you seem to have done quite a few times in uh, in both directions, as I remember it. Because
2: uh, it, actually, I haven't. Oh no, I've only I have not done pitchel. I just oh, okay. did the other direction, and that's another one of my. Um, Bucket list wish I had done. I tried to do it just last year and ended up, um, right around, uh, where was I around rattlesnakes so and maybe like 40 miles in or something like that came, had been having really bad chest pains for like three hours and, um, was getting ready to start on a section that was pretty, um inaccessible and just thought, you know, I don't know what's going on. I have really severe asthma. Didn't know if that was what was going on or, or what it was, but I, I had to abort that effort. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But, yeah so that's one I, you know, the one that got away, the one that I <laughs> wish I had done when I was really strong and fast five or 10 years ago.
1: For sure. Uh, but you had done it from Mitchell to Pisgah. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, And the only reason I did it that way was because of whatever time of year it was, I can't remember, but the hours I was, a, I was concerned about whether I would be able to get into Mount Mitchell State Park right. before they closed um,
1: and get right.
2: access to the top. And I didn't want to like yep. get up there and then have to
1: right. walk back yeah. down the road. Yep. To my yep. city. Yeah.
2: So that's why I did it the other way. Cause then I could, you know, I can, Choose yep. what time I went out, and then it didn't matter what time I finished.
1: As as fate would have it, um, we passed each other. Um, <laughs> you were coming at me from full card. Oh. I was out running just on the you know mountains to see random training run. I'm like, hey, and what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing pitchel backwards, head to Pisca. Oh. <laughs> of course you are. It's a Tuesday. What else would you do? <laughs> That's that was tough. a
2: long time ago
1: it was yeah but uh, i like that's a it's still vivid in my you know in my memory uh, but um you've uh, you've also you've had some sponsors too uh through time correct
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah um so um you know the world of uh you know running companies has obviously completely changed with um that of social media social media mm-hmm. has made it a um more accessible you know that companies uh, provide opportunities for more runners. Um, but you know, when, when you and I were, were running as, as sponsored runners, it was a a completely different game because social media didn't exist. Um, you want to talk about that? Like what were some of your obligations as a, as a, you know, sponsored athlete?
2: Yeah. You know, not a whole lot. I was sponsored by Saucony for a few years and then later by Innovate and, um, neither of them really required a whole lot. Um, probably because they didn't provide a whole lot. you know, <laughs> you know I mean, um, I think I got yeah, free shoes, obviously. And then um Saucony would pay um bonuses for um for for top three finishes in national championships. And so, um that was really all the all the cash I ever got. I think my biggest year was maybe like fifteen hundred dollars or something. Um and so they're really, you know, really all you had to do was wear their shoes and their jerseys and yeah. you know, yeah. try to try to get your picture in a magazine or a <laughs> newspaper if you could. But like right. you said, there are no and and I thought about that a lot, you know, because I watch a fair amount of YouTube or you know, read blogs and things and see all these runners doing all this, and I you know, I find myself asking, like, would I have done all that? Like if, if that was the expectation then, cause I'm not somebody who tends to want to put myself out there a lot in terms of like filming videos of myself or so in some ways I would, you know, I, I feel like I missed out because I think that people who are sponsored now probably get a lot more perks and a lot more opportunities to yeah. travel to, to cool places. Um, I didn't get much of that really. Um, right but I also got to do whatever I wanted. You know, nobody was telling me you have to run this race or you have to put in this many appearances or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It it was much simpler. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of tough to, you know, to to see (laughs) social media because uh, it feels like the, uh, the message is more about the hashtag (laughs) Mm -hmm. that, that it is about uh, you know the uh, what you know whatever was going on, you know, like I still like the images where it's just you know this is uh, you know something beautiful I saw on my run uh, and it's not like hashtag you know, blah blah blah, you know, so I like multi- you know, all my posts I don't have hashtags. Um, I do have some brands that you know that represent, but um I still you know i I'm not a hashtagger. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah so. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, you know, it's it's hard to find that balance too. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I understand they're you know want to market and uh, and and have right. their visibility, but at the same time, it, it just seems uh, contrived. Um, yeah. But um, let's you know, we've we've kind of danced around your your back. Um, so let's let's talk about your back if you're okay with that. So, um, yeah, you know, when did that pop up, and and what happened?
2: Um. Well, I've had periodic lower back pain for as long as I can remember. And, you know, it's usually something that just flares up and goes away after a few days. Um, But I think it was, um, it was probably, it was after the SB 6K a couple months, you know, I came off of that and then just started racing again within a couple months. And um, just, it just, Started feeling worse and worse. And it was, you know, I didn't know anything about back and disc problems then. So it manifested as um, a lot of times it manifests as like uh, either glute or piriformis or hamstring pain. So I I kept getting treatment for those kinds of soft tissue injury kinds of things, and nothing was getting better. And um, this was over a period of you know, maybe a month or so. And then all of a sudden, one morning, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't move. I I got down, uh, actually, I got down out of bed to stretch and couldn't move, couldn't get back up. And it turns out that I had herniated a disc. And so I had surgery, they told me, um, you know, probably don't need to ever run again. Or maybe if you do run, you know, stick to five K's, that kind of thing. And, and it was really scary. And I was in tremendous, it was awful pain. I mean, I, I have new understanding or a sympathy for people who are in chronic pain because it was really debilitating every minute of every day. Um, But of course the surgery took care of the pain and I was, you know, woke up the next day and was great. And so I, started started walking and i was in pt at the time and i remember the physical therapist saying you can't run but you can walk as far as you want and i went into the pt one monday and she said well what'd you do you know did you walk this week and i said yeah i did um actually they had this race called the black monster black mountain monster which is a 24-hour race i just did the 12-hour version i didn't run i just walked i walked like Forty-four miles. (laughs) Like, um, I said, you could walk as much as you wanted. I didn't really mean you could go out and walk for forty-four. That's great. But of course, you know, running can be kind of like an addiction, and I think a runner's mind kind of works like an addict's mind in that. I started running again, and I could run five miles pain-free, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, I should try to go out for 10-mile runs on the weekend, so then I could do 10 miles pain-free. Then, you know, why not try 20? You know, it'd be good just to do a 20-mile run every Saturday. So started doing that, then thinking, well, if I can run a 20-mile run, I could certainly do a 50K, and then I just kind of got back into that whole thing. And, um, I realized that running trails was harder on my back than roads. I think having the even surface was easier on it. And so I thought, well, I'll just run lots of miles on the roads. Why not do a 24 hour race? And that was when I got into the 24 hour races. And so I did like three or four of those. And then my back flared up again. I think what happened was I did too many. I did. I think I did the tour to Virginia in July. Then I did maybe like the world hundred mile championship, or world 24 hour championship in September. Then I tried to do another 24 hour race in December. And after that, it was, it was blown again. So I had another surgery and I thought, you know, I really need to be smarter this time. So I was for a while and then, <laughs> for a while. then I ended up deciding to do some more fun stuff out on the trail and did scar and tried to do Pitchel, And then it, that this was like a year ago and it started flaring up again and I've been paying the price since so. So now I'm just getting back to where I can run every day. I'm at about 35 miles a week now, you know, working towards like, to, you know, but then again, I think, well, Anybody sane would think 35 miles a week is perfectly fine. You know, that's plenty to stay stay healthy, you know, deal with your stress, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking, well, 50 miles a week would be a nice, you know, round, better number to be to be hovering. And then as soon as I do that, I know I'll think like, well, you know, there's no reason I can't try to go do 100 miles. So I don't know. I'm just trying to be. I'm trying to learn. I mean, one back surgery can happen to anybody. Two is kind of dumb, but three would be really idiotic, and I just don't want to go there. So,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) You don't have to. I hope you don't have to. Um, So, um, you had a very nice uh, progression in your uh, in that you know you you worked through, you got through the marathon, you know, you built into the forty miler, and then you know just started increasing from there, but. Um, you know, something I want to touch on is these days we get a lot of youth, um, into these, um, you know, ultra events, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, um, a hundred miles it's, you know, I'm, we're seeing more and more, uh, younger, um, you know, mm-hmm. even, even younger than 18, uh, that are, that are jumping into these ultra events. Yeah. Um, do you have any sort of advice for them?
2: You know, I don't know. I don't know enough physiologically to know if there are long-term repercussions to that. You know, people will say, oh, their knees will be shot by the time they're 40 or this or that. I mean, I don't I don't really know the facts on that. And I don't necessarily believe that they're doing damage, muscular skeletal damage that will haunt them later in life. But what I will say is that um, I think if you have any goal of really competing or or achieving big big dreams at shorter distances, it's better to work on those while you're younger because I feel like once you kind of get sucked into the whole trail ultra world and you start going more for longer and longer distances, it's pretty hard to rein everything back and come back and try to get a 10K PR or a marathon PR. So I think being cognizant of that. And I also... One of the things that I've always been really aware of since I got into ultras is the need to have balance in my life. And um, ultras can really take over everything. And I've I've known people who it's really become their whole life. And then something happens and they get a career ending injury or just have to take downtime or whatever and they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't have any other interests. They don't have any friends outside of the running community. They don't have any other kind of meaning to their life. And so I've always been a big proponent of finding meaning outside of running, um, whether it's other passions, whether it's your career, whether it's your family or friends, have friends outside of running. Because, um, I mean, I've made some of the best friends in my life through running and racing and being on teams with them. But I will say those relationships change when you're not able to be out training together or racing together. I mean, they just do. So, um, you know, my best friends in my life are people who are not necessarily runners, but they've been there. They were there before I was competitive. They were there when I was winning races and they're still there now that I'm a casual jogger. And so I think just having a life, Outside of of running and racing is so crucial. And I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but that's what's been important for me.
1: Uh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, Switching topics slightly here, but um, at this point in time, um, we'd like to see our sport kind of get more diversity. Uh, within it, not only um, racially, but uh, seeing a a stronger female presence. Um, What can those that are, you know, already in the sport um, do to encourage, you know, further participation um, from, from everyone, you know, and, and being part of the, you know, becoming a part of the community.
2: I think just, you know, I think encouraging people, you know, who are interested to give it a try, you know, telling, Really emphasizing that it is just—it it sounds. When I did my first ultra, when I went to the first ultra, I fully expected everybody there was going to look like an Ironman or an Olympian. You know, I thought everybody was going to be super ripped and super <laughs> fit. And then you actually go to ultras, and there are people of all ages, shapes, and sizes there, and it's—it's it's really validating and empowering. And so I think if To share that message to people who have maybe never been to one or never seen it, let them know that it's they really are there for everybody. And you're not going to go and feel like the only one who is not an Olympian. Um, I think, um, you know, I think I think that cost probably prohibits some people from competing in ultras. I worry that our sport is becoming kind of like triathlon did, where you had to be at least uh, middle class to even afford to participate. So I understand race directors have to make a living, but maybe if they had some scholarship spots that people could apply for, if they want to run the race and don't have the means to pay the entry fee, Um, Or letting them work it off and and volunteer. You volunteer for three of my races and you can run this one for free, that kind of thing. Um, I love the, the different groups that are around now, like the Trail Sisters and, you know, groups for women, groups for other kinds of, you know, other people. Getting out there and just experiencing the trails with other people that can show you the ropes. It's important.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, that said, um, women, especially, we have a a lot that become a little bit more timid about, you know, getting on the trail specifically, Mm -hmm. um, and safety being a primary concern, you know, for multiple reasons. Um, any advice that you would give to, to those women?
2: You know, I have, some people might say I'm, reckless, but I have never worried that much on the trails. Um, I've actually had more scary incidents running in the roads around my house at 5 a.m. than I've ever had on the trails. Um, And that's not to say there aren't dangers out there, but I, if I don't have, and I do 95% of my running by myself, if I, I'm not going to, if I don't have somebody to run with, I'm not going to let that keep me from going out on the trail. Um, I think just being smart, you know, being, knowing your surroundings, being aware, you know, if you pass somebody, um, especially somebody that looks like they could be a little sketchy, you know, glance over your shoulder a few times to just make sure they're not back there still Um, have making sure somebody knows where you are and when you might be expected back. Um, If you're real nervous, run with a dog or run with pepper spray, Um, run it on trails that are more heavily populated um, at busier times of the day. So I, you know, I understand that we need to be safe and cautious, but I don't, I think, I personally feel like I'm in just as much risk if I'm coming out of Asheville mall at nine 30 at night. And my car is parked in a distant parking lot. I feel like that's just as risky as being out on the mountains to sea trail by myself.
1: Yep. That's all great points. Absolutely. And, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, um, what do you have for, for parting words of wisdom for, uh, Mm -hmm. for those that want to seek longevity in our sport?
2: I think, um, I think mixing it up is really important. I think, um, you know, I always made an effort to run, tried to run like a, a mixture of terrains and distances. So, you know, even if my big key races for the year might be a couple of big, you know, 50 mile trail races, I would still try to do some shorter races or some road races to mix it up. I think it's, I think it makes you a more versatile runner. If you're accustomed to different, different uh, surfaces, even throwing in a track meet every now and then can be fun. Um, gotcha. I think going to different places can really be fun and, and mixing things up in terms of, you know, trying SB6Ks or SB, uh, trying FK, FKTs, getting <laughs> all my acronyms mixed up, <laughs> trying um, FKTs, trying uh, new trails, um, take, listening to your body, taking rest days. I'm not as good at that. I never have been, but I think that probably helps with longevity. Um and just finding balance in your life again. You know, one of the things that I've done over the last five years is I've done a lot of um, rock climbing. And then this year I actually took up supping also. And it's just fun to have some other things. I think it makes me appreciate my time on the trail even more when I am don't do it every single day, when I'm mixing it up with other activities. Um, so, yeah, just trying not to... I guess, like you would say about your stock portfolio, diversify.
1: <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, Ed, that was, uh, was a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and
2: yeah, it's uh, fun. Your,
1: your contributions to our sport, of course, and um, for sure, I you know I hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas and a and happy holidays.
2: Thanks. And, you too. Uh, stay stay safe and stay healthy.
1: Of well, that's the goal, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: once again i want to thank ann for coming on today and and sharing with us and talking about uh you know a number of things she's uh, like i said just an amazing person um honor and privilege to be able to to speak with her and so thank you ann uh, just on uh some things going on around here um i have some um neck gaiters uh, that, uh, I had printed with the MR running pains, um, pain button logo. Uh, those are, um, $15. If you would like one, you can reach out to me. Um, I will, uh, I'll post those on uh, Facebook page, the MR running pains coaching page. If you're interested, it's, uh, uh the $15 just includes shipping. I'm just going to throw them in an envelope with a stamp. So shipping will be super cheap, um, but if you're interested, just reach out. You can reach out uh, through uh, Facebook, uh, email runningpains at gmail.com. Um, I'll also probably post it on my uh, MR Running Pains Instagram uh, page. And uh, But, uh, yeah, just reach out if you're interested. Um, newsletter. My goodness, um, life has just been so busy trying to prepare for the holidays. I mean, uh, we have one more episode before um, – we reach Christmas, but man, uh, I've just been, uh, so busy. I haven't had a chance to, uh, sit down and work on the newsletter, which, you know, it's my hopes that, uh, um, I'll be able to get that out, uh, may just do kind of a December slash January newsletter, uh, just with the craziness that, uh, you know, <laughs> the holidays entail, uh, my kids being off, um, starting next week. So, um, but anyhow, I hope to get that out. My apologies. Um, I know nobody's dying for that, but <laughs> um, if you're interested in the newsletter, uh, you can uh, sign up for the newsletter on my webpage, mrrunningpains.com, and uh, all of the old uh, newsletters as well as podcasts are archived on that website as well. Uh, it's under the Connect page, so you click on that and you'll see uh, links for um, the newsletter and podcast. So you can uh, listen to old episodes or read old newsletters Um, with that um, information on my coaching is also available on there. Um, I am getting pretty full. Um, Also, um, should note that um, 2021 uh, i am going to have a, a price increase to 125 um, just with um, all my offerings and such uh, and trying to make a living obviously from from coaching um, i am going to increase my rate to um, people signing on after january 1st to 125 just as a, uh, a heads up to anybody interested um, i hope that doesn't dissuade you um, you know, I never want financially it to be a burden on anybody. So, uh, even if you're interested and, uh, you know, that, that price, uh, may seem a little steep, just reach out. You know, I, am I'm, I'm happy to accommodate, uh, you know, all people, like I said, I never want coaching to be out of reach just because of pricing. So, uh, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. But like I said, I am filling up um, and I do have a number of people that have reached out to me about future coaching. So, um, you know, if that's something you're interested in, in the future, let me know. Um, but as I said, price will increase after January 1. So, um, you know, hop on board if you're looking to, uh, to do something for 2021 uh, and uh, you can get on now for the, uh, the old rate of 100 bucks. Um, but um, anyhow, um, other things that are going on uh, next week. I'll have an interview with um Jennifer and uh Nate Heeslip. Um, they are um locals to my area here in Western North Carolina. Um obviously a husband and wife combination. They have a son, um, Brendan and we talk about how they fit everything in. Um that's, you know, always a question that's it's such a great question. How how do we fit things in with family life, work, etc. So we're going to have a great conversation. Jen uh, finished the Rim to River 100 this year. Um, in a PR time and, uh, is one of my athletes, uh, Nate, her husband just ran the art Loeb trail in a, you know, impressive time of, of eight um, you know, under his own guidance. So, um, we're going to talk about all that stuff. So I look forward to that conversation that will be coming out next week, right before Christmas. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, as for myself, uh, currently, uh, I've switched out of um, the uh, the hill drills. Uh, if, if you go back and listen, I talked about doing the um, Arthur Lydiard hill drills, the plyometric drills that Arthur Lydiard had for uh, building the musculoskeletal system, and uh, I've moved into uh, more of an anaerobic or uh, max VO2 phase, if you will. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm doing shorter intervals, um, hill repeats, um, as I record this here, um, on, uh, December 16th, the day before the podcast comes out, uh, this morning I ran, um, 14 miles and then, um, increased the, uh, incline on the treadmill to 10% and did, uh, some 30 meter, uh, excuse me, 30 second hill sprints. Um, you know, and you can see all this on Strava, uh, you know, follow me on Strava. I'm Aaron Saft, MR running pains and uh you know if you want to ask questions by all means um some of the stuff i i do you know if you want to know why i'm doing it what i'm doing uh, or anything you know that i post on there anything about my gear or anything like that feel free to reach out i love connecting with people in that way um and uh always always happy to to share what I'm doing, um, may also intrigue you into, you know, again, a conversation about coaching and, uh, and, and how you can implement some of this stuff. And, um, I'm also, uh, toying with the idea of doing, um, individualized schedules. So in other words, um, a flat rate, and uh, I'll write a, um, a plan for you if you're training for something specifically, uh, you know, a 12 or a 16-week plan. Um, it would just be, you know, coming up with an individualized plan based off of uh, what you tell me. And then, uh, you know, I hand that off to you and, and you do your your thing. Um, it doesn't require any communication on your part. It's just a one-time fee. So i um, looking at incorporating that as well. Um, so check that out. Um, it's uh, You can uh, find more information um, as I update my website um, should be updating that you know here in the next uh, week or so um, but uh, you know like I said let me know if you're interested in that uh, so far as racing goes um, man unfortunately um, you know my my son's uh, season came to an end prematurely didn't get to run his, uh, his, his conference meet due, to, uh, severs, which is, uh, um, just a kind of separation, if you will, of the Achilles, uh, pulling away from the heel, um, just, uh, um, due to his growth, he's, he's growing so fast and being athletic, uh, it happens to, to kids at his age. Um, so, um, we, uh, we decided obviously to, um, to let him rest and let it heal, which is, uh, you know, of course the best thing for him. And, um, his team still won the conference title, which was, uh, you know, most impressive. Um, so happy for them. Um, but, um, you know, that said we decided not to run the pilot mountain goat. Um, you know, he, he was taking some time off and, um, I just didn't want to travel without him. It's a three hour trip for us. And, um, you know, with things going on, I just didn't feel it was the right thing to do. Um, next up on my schedule is the, um, Uh, the South mountains 50 K that is January 9th. So that's coming up pretty quick. Um, You know, again, uh, assessing things, seeing how they go. I know um, Brandon thrower at Tantelon adventures, uh, you know, has some uh, COVID implementation um, of things, uh, you know, uh, with wave starts and um, you know, things at the aid stations and such. So uh, definitely going to assess that um, talk with my, my wife and feel, you know, feel it out, see how uh, we think how safe it is. And, um, but, um, you know, I just, uh, I, am being real tentative, um, you know, with, with going out and doing a lot of things, um, right now. Um, my wife fortunately is receiving the vaccine as a primary health provider. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'm I, I do not get that nor do my kids, but, um, we're just being careful and cautious. So, um, I hope all of you stay safe um, you know, be careful, stay cautious. Um, I'll be talking to you before Christmas. Um, but I hope everybody's uh, enjoying the holiday season. Uh, for those of you celebrating Hanukkah, a um, very happy Hanukkah to you. And um, until next time, my friends, keep running. <music>